The content in this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. The information, opinions and discussions in this podcast are for informational purposes only. As each person's situation is different, please consult your healthcare professional with any medical questions. Welcome to the Healthy AF Podcast. I'm April Love, former beauty queen, model and lawyer turned startup entrepreneur. This podcast explores living with hereditary angioedema or HAE, a condition which I myself have been diagnosed with. Each episode will share stories from myself and others and interviews with health professionals and thought leaders in the space. I want to help those living with this condition know they are not alone. Thanks for spending some time with me today and let's get healthy AF. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Healthy AF Podcast. I'm your host April Love and on today's episode we're talking to Henrik Boysen, Executive Vice President and COO at HAE International. Henrik joins us all the way from Denmark. Henrik, welcome to Healthy AF. Thank you April, so happy to be here. So Henrik, I wanted to dive straight into this and I understand that not only are you the Executive Vice President and COO for HAEI, but you are also an HAE patient yourself. Uh, Can you tell us about that story? Sure can, April. Absolutely. So in my case, um, although that might not be a very interesting case, uh, in my case, I I started having uh, attacks probably around the age of five. Um, and escalated uh, over the years. And at the age of nine, um, I had my appendix removed and they thought it was appendicitis. I think a lot of HAE patients been through this process. Um, and of course, mm. there was no infection there at all. So um, so that one was removed and still it was, you know, nobody knew what this was. Uh, so we were kind of living with this uh, these ongoing attacks uh, that came um well relatively frequent and you just learn to live with it whether you had a swollen foot or um or or an abdominal attack or uh, whatever it was uh, but it wasn't until i was um 17 actually when i had a laryngeal attack and got into icu that a um, young physician um in Denmark, um, he actually wasn't Danish. I think he came from, um, I can't remember where, but uh, an Eastern mm-hmm. European country. And he recently heard about HAE and he said, I think I know what you have here. And um, and then we found out when I was 17, so with a delay of about 12, 13 years maybe, that mm-hmm. it actually was hereditary angioedema. Did uh, you have uh, like other relatives that had HAE or because in my situation, um, I'm actually the first, my, my parents and my uh, uh, brother has been tested, but it, it didn't show for them. Yeah, well, we didn't know. And, and well, since I wasn't diagnosed at the time, we didn't know of any other family members. Um, we knew that my mom, you know, occasionally also had her terrible stomach pains and um, but nobody could figure out what it really was. Um, but of course, when I got diagnosed, um, she was 40 years old and um, she got diagnosed. So with her, it was even a longer delay in diagnosis. So my mom was diagnosed at that time. And so was my younger brother. So it was, yeah, it was in yeah. the family. And for you, did your swelling kind of move around or was it always kind of in a predictable spot? Because for me, it's always in my extremities and I've had one 
time for it that it was in my abdominal and one in my my throat which was quite scary it is scary and and um with me and and with my family at least uh what we see is that attacks can happen anywhere uh whether it's abdominal extremities or laryngeal or you know all of the places and there's really no prediction of when what will come uh, we also find that uh, at least in my case when when i have an extremity swelling that one very often also develops into an abdominal uh, as well. Oh, wow. And I um, I heard that in another interview that you, you have a wife who also has HAE. Is that correct? Yeah, what a coincidence, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so how is it like managing attacks between the two of you? So uh, today, I mean, we are fortunate that we have um, good medication available but um, um, and, and have had that for the nine years that we've been together now and um but i remember a, um, a funny story and well i don't know if it's funny but i remember a story from from um, the early days uh, and um so we are both are severely affected with, with hae and and there was a time where both of us had an abdominal attack and uh, we were actually alone oh, no. uh, in the home and um so it really was a question about who of us had the most or the most capacity to treat the other and oh. then the deal was that uh, we ended up that i treated my wife uh, intravenously first <laughs> and uh, once she started feeling a bit better she treated me so that was um that's that's a challenge you can have when you have a caregiver who's also an he patient yeah i can imagine that would be like quite difficult especially if you were swelling at the same time do you have the same triggers do you know if or you have different triggers we, well, so, you know, with, with HAE, it's hard to talk. Uh, we know there are certain triggers like infections and stress mm. and all of that. And that, that, that applies to most people. And I know you 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 have the same thing with uh, stress. Yes. But in many cases, uh, April, um, HAE attacks don't need a trigger. And um, so that's another thing uh, that, that, you know, patients need to be aware of, even if they try to, you know, prevent uh, doing things that could trigger their HAE, they may still get attacked. So that's not, um, triggers themselves are there sometimes, but in what we see in our data and most studies is that there are a lot of HAE attacks out there. Actually, the majority of them have no triggers. Oh yeah. Wow. Um, I, you know, I find that with this podcast, I'm literally learning so much about HAE every single time I talk to someone and, you know, like for me, um, like you said, stress is a trigger. I've, I've, I'm trying to track uh, what causes my, my swelling. And I know that I used to love to do rock climbing, like uh, indoor rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it, you know, it's kind of strange because sometimes I'll go and nothing will happen. And then sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll go and then I'll be, you know, swelling within like an hour or two. So, it, you know, it's kind of interesting that it doesn't really discriminate. It kind of just, <laughs> just happens whenever yeah. it feels like it. And we don't want to, you know, that's the other thing that is so super important about HE is that we really don't want anybody to feel limited in what they want to do, uh, even though that they have HE. Yeah. And so um, do you have children? We do, yeah. Um, we, we do not have kids together but each one of us had two kids from previous marriages and um three of those four kids actually also have HAE so oh, uh, wow. normally we talk about HAE patients being the rare person in the room but when the whole family here is together, all six of us we have one kid who doesn't have HAE and actually feels <laughs> rare <laughs> 
And so then I guess, you know, um, having yourself and your wife have HE and, and three out of your four children, what, how do you mm-hmm. manage that process? Like what kind of precautions or processes or management plans do you have in place? Like how do you explain to them, you know, um, this is what you need to do if an attack happens? Do you need to notify the school or is there, what's the best way of managing this? That's a really good question. And, and um, I think it's always, uh, I think as a parent, um, the, the, the first and worst thing really is that you feel guilty that you brought this onto your kids. Um, on the other hand side, um, we also know that, you know, basically every human being has genetic errors and uh, HA is just one of them. Yeah. And um, so what we've done instead is that, you, and that goes for all the HAE community uh, worldwide, really start working hard to find solutions um, and also solutions for our kids. And um, mm. uh, there's no no doubt that in the beginning, I mean, all, all our kids except one are grown up now and uh, moved away from home and, and they are happy young people uh, living with HAE, having their uh, treatments available at hand at all time. And mm. uh, they, they've become really good at managing it. Um, uh, we still have a young one living with us here, uh, teenager, um, and and mm-hmm. um, and that by itself can be a challenge sometimes having a teenager in the house. But um, yeah, but also for him, it's it's um, they've been living with HAE around them all life, so uh, you know for them it becomes kind of a natural element, um, if I yeah. can say so. But but there is a lot of things that I would recommend that you start thinking about if you have kids with HAE. And, and, you know, first of all is don't be shy about talking to teachers and uh, friends and others about this. Uh, don't feel guilty mm-hmm. about having HAE. Um, make sure that you have some plans in place with school, um, especially if they go on a school journey or whatever they excursion or something like that. Yeah. Um, make sure you have some plans in place and thinking this through and, um, so that everybody's comfortable because if the kid goes away on a school trip or field trip and and don't have a solution for his or her uh, HAE that could that could bring stress onto to to the kid and in and by itself cause an attack so try to be as calm as possible about this but still yes. make sure that you you always have an emergency plan in place. So, uh, you know, these questions are really important, especially for me because, you know, um, my partner and I are potentially planning for a family in the in the coming years. And so, you know, it's one thing going through the pregnancy, but it's the, other, the, the thing that I guess then you don't really think about is that you have to have an entire management place, like, you know, for when they're at school or if they're at preschool or it really, and also it depends on when, when the symptoms start to present, because for me, like, you know, um, it didn't happen until I was in my twenties. So, you know, and for some, it can happen a lot earlier. Did it, did it happen while they were in school or was it kind of a bit later in life? That was a little bit different for each one of them. Um, for, um, so the oldest is the one without HAE and uh, the two in the middle. Are, in both cases, they 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 had uh, attacks also uh, while at school age. Um, so, um, uh, and the youngest one, uh, who's 13 now, has also been through a number of attacks already. So uh, mm. it's it's hard to, you know, uh, and again, in, in, in this case here, uh, uh, the age of uh, the first attack really... Uh, it doesn't matter that much because that's so individual amongst patients that, you know, you have kids that get 
yeah. from day one, basically, more or less. And then you have kids who uh, don't yeah. get anything and live. We have very few examples of HAE patients living completely symptom free a whole life. So that's uh, that's you know yeah. that's are the, these are the two ends of the scale, and and somewhere yeah. in between you'll find yourself and and your family and um, I think it's more a question about just being prepared and knowing what you're dealing with. Get information, and don't be you know don't be shy talking about this. Yeah, definitely. And so living with HA yourself over the years, have you come to learn any good tips for managing it? Yeah, well, so we, you have a you have a large portion of patients out there who get um, uh, what we call uh, the chicken wire um, rash uh, or erythema marginatum, uh, it's also called. And that's a sign for them where they can see on their skin that an attack is approaching, a clear prodromal sign. Um, we don't have that in our family, um, but... Um, you, with the years, you start learning uh, to listen to your body and um, you can kind of sense when an attack is coming on, fatigue, you feel uh, you're sometimes even hungry or um, not that you have mm. to treat yourself every time you're hungry, but, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, there, there are things and signals that you learn over the years. And um, the, the main thing is, uh, and the main recommendation I would say is that if you're treating on demand, so meaning that you're treating your attacks rather than preventing attacks, I would strongly recommend anybody to treat as early as possible. Um, that, that's, that, that is my you know mm-hmm. best and strongest advice when it comes to, to treating HE attacks. Yes. And that is something that I only recently learned because I thought, you know, on And up until like the last month, I was told this, but before that, I didn't really know about um, how to handle this. So I would just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until my fingers were about to go blue and then I would go to the hospital Um, and that's not good. So now I know, you know, at the first sign of an HAE attack, you you should treat it and that should hopefully um, also stop it from progressing any further. And, And for myself, you know, I only learnt probably after speaking to Janice Stridham in in another episode about the HAE rash. I had no idea about this. Um, Mm. And when she mentioned it on the podcast, I was like, oh, my gosh, I sometimes have like these little red like uh, like – um, like marks on my arm and then sometimes I would have an attack but then sometimes I would have those red red lines and marks but they wouldn't really go anywhere so then it's always kind of I never know what's going to happen to me <laughs> that's true and, and and that's the uh, and that's still part of, of, of the whole HCE disorder so to speak is that you never you just never know how an attack uh, develops and, and and that's why you always want to be prepared April and make sure that you treat as early as possible or alternatively because there's a number of great um, preventional treatments out there so another option would be to look at a prophylactic treatment so through that to prevent attacks from happening yes um, that's something that I think I might look into next year I, I was talking to my immunologist about potentially going on prophylactic treatment I think for me I was worried that once you start that's it. You have to be on it forever. But um, she was she was very good to kind of like allay those fears. And she said, "Look, you can. Some people just go on it 
if they know they're going to have a stressful period, it doesn't have to be, you know, um, a, a long, long-term thing. But she said that most people don't want to come off it after seeing the such how good the results are when, when they're on prophylactic treatment. Absolutely correct, yeah. And so the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, with, with international borders opening up and travel back on the agenda, like how is the best way to prepare for this? Especially because, you know, I know that um, for my work – you know, they want to send me to the US and, you know, I might be going to Europe for the first time next year and that's quite a long cool. flight. Yeah. So, like, what what is the best way to, to deal with this? I'm guessing to have your on-demand treatment maybe with you in on the plane in your hand carry, but right. how, how do you store it? Like, is it safe? Do you need a letter? Like, what are the things, what are the steps that one should take? So, first of all, um, it's 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 actually fairly easy to travel with HE medication. Um, personally, I've been uh, traveling a lot in my my job for HAI and and um, had uh, up until Corona hit the world um, uh, about 170 days uh, traveling a year. Wow! So it's been a lot of traveling going on, and uh, my my only recommendation here is that you know. Have something that proves that you, you know, have a letter or whatever it is at your, you may not need it. I've never needed mine, but just have it with you in case that somebody asks. Make sure that you bring your medication in your hand baggage. Don't put it mm-hmm. in your check baggage. Yep. Always bring it in and be open and honest. When you go to security, just say that you have medication in your hand baggage as well, hand luggage. And ask them, you know, if they want to see the medication. In most cases, they actually don't want to see it. Um, but um, and it's perfectly fine to travel with syringes, needles, whatever you need to treat your um, HAE. Okay, yeah, because that's something I was worried about. Like, if yeah. you were going, let's say um, my partner is um, his family's in Italy, and um, you know we might want to go away for an extended, you know, like maybe two months. That's quite a long time, or even three months. You'd probably need, um, you know, at, lately I've been having attacks every week. So then it's like, you know, what if I need twelve syringes, like of uh, Icataban? Like, is are they going to let me in? Are they think are they going to they're going to be okay with that for as long as I have a letter? And you know, the other question is, what happens if you, that's okay for you to, I guess, you know, inject yourself? Absolutely, and and um, it's 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 interesting. Uh, now you're mentioning the plane flights, and uh, you know, being being on a plane is is um, uh, can for some people also be stressful and um, I remember many years ago um, uh, that was at the time when the only uh, on-demand treatment um, actually was intravenously oh wow <laughs> I was sitting on a plane oh on my way from um, Seattle to uh, Frankfurt in Germany and um, uh, that was far way back in the plane uh, full flight uh, everything and um uh, in the middle seat of a five-person row, oh, no. <laughs> having an attack, and you know, just first of all, contacting the stewardess, saying, you know, I need to, I need to do an IV treatment. Um, then I talked to the passenger next to me on both sides and said, would you guys be okay with this? I, I don't want to, you know, um, scare any of you. And this is medication, wow. nothing else. And <laughs> so, but it is manageable. And in most cases, uh, you know, April. Talk to people. Uh, people will understand. Um, uh, you or, or you yeah. go into the restroom uh, on on a plane and and uh, uh, treat there. So you know there are 
there are options uh, for for patients. And today, you know, with both with um, on a plane, you know, with a subcutaneous mm-hmm. treatment, or um, it's 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 just become easier. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I wouldn't fear, but I would always, as we talked about earlier, I would always be prepared and make sure that I have medicine uh, enough with me for the whole trip and Mm -hmm. um, that I have it at hand at all time. And what happens like when you're actually in another country and, you know, you need something more than an an on-demand treatment? So what what's the protocol there like I, I know that HAEI have like some cards like uh that, that are translated into into different languages you, you do advise like you know presenting that to a hospital and hopefully they'll they'll know what to do yeah um we do have emergency cards uh, and they're currently available I think for 83 countries or 84 countries um so that it fits with languages in those countries and you can you can actually download those cards either from the website or you can use the app called HE Companion, which is available at App Store and at Google Play. Um, in there, you can download emergency card to your uh, wallet on your smartphone and can present that to a physician or hospital yeah. or whoever who will then know uh, what your situation is. And um, so, yeah, that's absolutely correct. But the protocol, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, we recommend that people um, train themselves in self-administration to make sure that they get the medication because um, that can sometimes mm-hmm. be a hassle, traveling international, uh, not knowing the language and trying to explain that you need them to help you inject medication. Um, a lot of physicians would put a big question mark to that when you come with your brown yeah. bag of medication. There. <laughs> yeah. So. So that's that's something to you know it's it's a great thing as an HAE patient to learn how to treat yourself and um, and and bring that with you in any any place in the world. Um, but then you really shouldn't be limited. Yeah. And of course, in, in April, just to add to that, uh, of course, um, uh, of course, also always make sure that you have the correct uh, insurances in place. Because when you're traveling abroad, your own health system doesn't cover you or necessarily cover you any longer. So it's important for HE patients when they are traveling that they have their insurance. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I wanted to also ask you about HAEI. Um, Can you tell us a bit about the organization and, you know, what kind of projects and and initiatives you guys are are doing currently? I can talk about HAEI forever. Fantastic. <laughs> so, I'm so happy you asked that question. So HAI um, really is a global umbrella organization. We are uh, we are registered as a nonprofit um, out of the US. Um, our role is to uh, support and coordinate activities amongst our member organizations worldwide. And we started out back in 2002, and the organization really was established and form, formalized in 2004. At that point, uh, and up to 2009, it was about six to eight countries working together. Mm-hmm. And today, we actually serve 93 countries worldwide. Wow. So we, we really, what we try to do at HAI is, is help our member organizations help their patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's a very high level um, description of it. The way we do it and the way we are organized is that we have a, a wonderful um, uh, board of directors. Um, our president and CEO, uh, Tony Castaldo, who you may have heard of, 
um, is is a true uh, advocate and um, a very very engaged person, um, and and in the entire board basically uh, has this you know global sense of what's going on in the world, and they are all amazing patient advocates. Besides the board, um, we have our uh, mm-hmm. the real the backbone of HAI today is our regional patient advocates. Uh, who are organized and uh, led uh, by our chief regional patient advocate, uh, Fiona Wardman. Yes. Who's actually based in Sydney. And you, I guess you know Fiona already. Yeah. She's been, she's been very helpful, actually. <laughs> and, and, and she has, uh, you know, under her leadership, she has um, eight um, regional patient advocates who are serving different regions of the world. And um, what we try to achieve there is that we have people on the ground who kind of sense what's going on, do understand the culture, the languages, um, and and uh, have a faster way, a better way to help our member organizations achieve what they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how does Australia compare to the other 93 countries in terms of um, maybe numbers of people that have HAE and or also our access to treatment? I, to my understanding, I think that we're generally pretty good. Absolutely. Um, we love our Aussie friends and, um, and in Australia, uh, things are moving fast. Things are not moving by themselves and that goes for anywhere in the world. So you, you should, you know, it's, it's hard to get to the point where you really get access to medication. Um, and, and that goes, I haven't heard of one country where it just comes by itself. Um, so it takes a lot of uh, work, both from the local, uh, uh, patient organization, but also the, the, the work, you know, that, that takes place between patient organizations, um, physicians, uh, of course, and uh, the pharmaceutical industry. And I think that triangle really is what mm. you win. And you find those inspiring people uh, and, and, and people who really burn for this and, and want to make a difference. Um, when you find those in that triangle, you, you'll be successful at some point. And that's what we've seen in many countries. Australia is a good example, and um, very recently there's been a number of new uh, medicines uh, approved in Australia as well. Yes, I think one of them is uh, Taxiro. I think that was um, that was the one that uh, Fiona was telling me about in terms of prophylactic treatment, um, and that's something I'm actually keen to explore next year because she was explaining that. Um, this is something that stops attacks happening uh, further up in the chain as opposed to just, um, you know, like treating them as they happen. So, yeah, that's something I'm really, really excited to, to hear more about. Yeah, that's what makes it a little different to what you we know, what you know from, from Icataban right now, but without, you know, pointing at specific treatments because the case is still that, you know, there is no one-size-fits-all for HAE patients and it's super important for us to have choices out there. And that's why when you look at modern treatments, we actually have um, three prophylactic uh, choices uh, on, on the newer scale, um, two of them being um, subcutaneous and, and, and one being uh, an oral uh, treatment, so where you take a pill. Um, oh, I would like that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like doing the subcutaneous uh, acute uh, injections. <laughs> Yeah, but at the end of the day, April, what you really want is is a medication that works for you. And yes. and, um, uh, and and then in, in in my experience, you know, then the administration form really 
uh, to a certain extent comes second, but um, but of course you want to try what suits you, what suits you in your daily life, what makes sense for you. Uh, that's really where you want to put your energy. Yeah, that's true. And um, I know that you guys do the HAEI conferences. Do you have plans on uh, doing an international conference, like whether that's in person or, or virtually? So as you probably know, we, 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 we had a plan to do a big conference in May of 2020 um, in Frankfurt, um, where we, we actually had about a thousand people registered for that conference. When, you know, Corona came and we had to, to cancel everything there. Um, so we are, we, we are looking at, we want to definitely want to keep and maintain international conferences. We are looking at changing the concept a little bit. Um, as you may recall, um, in May of last year, we we put together a virtual global conference. Yes, and, yeah. Uh, but, but we also, and, and while that was the only choice we had at that time, we also realized that, you know, the, the power of people coming together and creating that network, um, being able to do, you know, discuss specific topics or... Uh, talk to the individual patients and that patients amongst them can exchange experience and so on. That is just so valuable. So, um, so we, we definitely hope, uh, you know, that we will be able to uh, soon again, uh, to gather the global community and, um, and, and do our international patient uh, conferences again. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Just because I've, uh, you know, I, I like I said, I've just recently discovered um, HAEI or any any anything involved with HAE, and so I yeah. wanted to know, like, at the conference, um, how is it typically? Like, what's the agenda? Is it like, uh, is it doctors mainly talking about HAE, or what? What kind of things do you, do patients learn, or is it like? Um, patients, um, you know, gathering in groups and talking about their experiences? What's it kind of like? That's a big combination uh, when you look at our global conferences, uh, also in the past. And um, together with our global conferences, we always have a scientific track. And on that scientific track, which really is reserved for the physicians, um, where we typically gather some 100 to 200 uh, physicians uh, in that neighborhood, um, there are very specific topics that they talk about on the scientific field and various themes, depending on, you know, when this conference will be held. Um, but we also um, have, uh, you know, the, 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 the key leaders are, are when it comes to physicians are, and HE mm-hmm. are investigators are worldwide uh, to, uh, to talk um, to the entire audience. And um, it's divided into patient tracks, scientific tracks and in the past also we had our youngsters track because that's really the next generation of HAE advocates um, and it's a combination of uh, talks mm-hmm. presentations um, getting to know more about the uh, the background of HAE getting to know more about the scientific stuff in there without being too scientific for patients yeah at the same you know uh, what can be done how can we do things better um, there's a lot of things going on and, and encouraging people to to uh, uh, to reach out to their network, both in the country, but also in neighboring countries and see how did they do there and why did they get access to this medication if we don't have access and so on. So there's, yeah. you know, these discussions are uh, so fruitful. And um, what we experienced over the past 
uh, years with our global conferences really is that people go away from these conferences super motivated and and really ready to do and, and, and go in and dive into the big fight in their country. And that's when and that's when, when you know, when uh, when they start that process, that's where HAI comes in, both through our regional patient advocates, but also uh, centralized by HAI, that we help them, you know, with support letters for the governments and mm. whatever it takes to 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 make sure that we get medicine available in as many places as possible. That's fantastic, and I I wish that um you know we 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 were going to do like another global conference because I would love to attend my first conference and just be in that room and, and meet other people that have HAE and to, you know, hear all the talks and what's going on in the medicinal space. And so, you know, I'm, you can count on me on being one of your advocates. <laughs> sounds great, April. Sounds good. And so um, finally, in the current space, um, I know that access to treatment is really important, but is there anything else you think that uh, we need more help with in terms of awareness? So awareness uh, can never be too much. And, um, and part of what we do at HAI is um, really help our member organizations as, as good as we can to, to provide a platform, a foundation for them to, to raise awareness and to help patients in their countries. And um, at HAI, we have developed a number of solutions and, uh, and uh, tools um, that can help our member organizations and even some of them to help our, you know, the end user, the patient out there. So just to give you a few examples, we, we, are, uh, we were the first uh, patient organization that uh, introduced a GDPR, um, so data protected uh, solution, Mm-hmm. Uh, personal uh, personalized data protection solution for our member organizations where they can have their membership uh, registered and where they can easily communicate with their members um, and still know that the data is safe uh, and um, that, that they can always pass a test of data security. Um, that, that is a product that we offer to our member organizations called HAI Connect. Um, mm-hmm. Most recently, we, 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 I already mentioned the HE Companion app that, that helps you uh, both look up physicians or wherever you are in the world uh, for those countries that provide that information, but also helps you with emergency cards um, and so on. Um, mm-hmm. We also have our HAE Tracker. And HAE Tracker yes. is a, a brand new app that we uh, launched uh, earlier this year. And um, Tracker uh, is available for everybody. And I think currently we are available in about 17 languages. And that number is just growing all the time. So really recommend it for any patient to use HAE Tracker because that is a way for a patient to get a better overview of what's going on with me when it comes to HAE. How often do I treat prophylactically? You can enter your prophylactic treatments in there. Do I have any breakthrough attacks or... Um, and if I do, when do I get those? What do I treat with, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And even if you're on demand, uh, HA Tracker is a great tool to make sure that you get all your attacks registered in there. Provide a broader picture to your physician when it comes to putting together a management plan that fits you. I think, yeah, that's excellent that you did mention that because that was something that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I need to download it because I currently write everything down in a notebook and I think it would be just so handy to have it somewhere like properly kind of like um, in one central repository and so I could like write down, you know, 
this is yeah. what I did this day and this is possibly what caused the attack and, and so forth. And then, you know, when you go to the doctor or you see your immunologist, you know, they can see all the data in one place. I think that's really important what you guys have done with the HAU track. And, and you, and you uh, as a patient, own the data. So you own your own data and nobody else will uh, access that. But you decide with whom you want to share this. So you could share it with your uh, physician uh, at any time. And you can do reports from there over certain periods um, and say for the last of the past six months, uh, this is how my HAU looked. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good tool and people who are using it are, are very happy with it. So I urge you, you should definitely use that one. <laughs> I'll, I'll download it right after this, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, finally, is there anything else you would like to add um, or promote or is there anything that we missed that we that I didn't ask you? You know, there's so many things going on that we could probably talk for the next hours or so, but uh, we don't want to bore people out there. Um, just want to make sure that I mention one more thing for you, and and that really is a new initiative that we um, uh, came up with in HA International. Um, it's called HAEI Advocacy Academy. Yeah. And the Advocacy Academy is an online cloud-based training platform that allows anybody who is interested in doing something about HAE or becoming an advocate or within HAE uh, to do training courses and get certificates in there. Mm. And uh, we also have, you know, a, a more restricted area of Advocacy Academy that um, that we offer our member organizations where there are certain tools and, and tips and tricks for them in, in, in how to better advocate and better raise awareness and better do anything uh, with all the tools and services provided by HAI. So Advocacy Academy um, can be found at academy.hai.org and uh, is really open for everybody. So have a look in there is something that I would uh, also uh, uh, recommend people to do. That's fantastic. And I, I probably need to sign up to that <laughs> as well. There's a few things that I need to do post this podcast. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for your time today, Henrik. I really appreciate it. I know that uh, you're just starting your day there in Denmark. So um, I'll make sure to put all the links to the HAE Academy um, and the, the tracker and all the other links so that, that you mentioned to the companion app. Um, but the work that you're doing with HAEI is just fantastic. And, you know, um, hopefully we'll check back in with you and you'll have more updates for us. Absolutely. You are welcome anytime, April. And I just want to say that all of this really comes from a bunch of great advocates uh, around the world, not only within HAEI, where I have the most fantastic colleagues and board members that you can imagine, but also in each of our wonderful member countries around the world, Seeing the energy and the passion out there uh, really is what drives everything for um, HAE globally. And that's just something we want to continue. And hopefully we can get together again soon um, once the pandemic has uh, slowed down a bit. Yes, absolutely. Maybe uh, next year I'll take a trip to Denmark. <laughs> you should be very welcome. And of course, thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Healthy AF Podcast hosted by me, April Love. Please don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox and Google and stay tuned for our next episode.